Hello, and welcome to the official podcast for the 31st Annual FIRST Conference. We're looking forward to welcoming you to the conference in Edinburgh, Scotland, 16th to the 21st of June. I'm your co-host, Chris John Riley, And I'm your other co-host, Martin McKay. Thanks for listening. So we're sitting down live at the first conference to talk to Ken Monroe, security researchy typey person from uh, Pentest Partners and uh, keynote for the for the first conference today on the first day. Welcome to the show and thank you very much for spending the time to talk to us. Hey, thank you very much. So you, you did a wonderful presentation. Um, I think uh, everyone was very impressed with some of the amazing examples you gave of how poorly secured IoT devices are, uh, especially the, the Kayla doll, which uh, everyone loves. I'm still very surprised you got that through carry-on luggage on your flight on the way up here, and I'm sure there's a story behind that. So maybe you can talk a little bit about um, kind of some of the brief topics you covered, and we can dive into some things from there. Yeah, so I went back to some, some work we did several years ago looking at, well, it looks at my smart kettle, which is great still possible to recover keys but the fun one and I think probably the most relevant was my friend Kayla which I'm sure many of you have seen and heard and, and loved the, uh, the interactive talking kids doll now she's great my first interest in her was modifying her so we could get her to swear like a docker which is always funny but actually there's a much more sinister side to her which is the fact that the connection to the smartphone app is over Bluetooth and doesn't have any pin, which means that anyone in Bluetooth range can talk to a child or listen to them through their doll. And that's the really creepy bit, the bit that got the attention of several data protection agencies and started a process which ended up with her being banned and made illegal in Germany. It sounds like we're not learning, right? This this kind of harks back to some of the early Bluetooth controllers in cars, right? Where you could let the car whisper or stuff, where you could talk to people's cars next to you and things like that. Are we just not learning as an industry? So I think we're not learning in different places, and that, that's what's interesting. So the, the problems with, with Kayla and my kettle were, were, were fundamentally point issues. So I had to be outside your house and I could attack you. But what's bothering me now is we're starting to see back-end IoT platforms be brought in. And that's taking it from being a point issue to what we're referring to as being a systemic problem. So it's no longer affecting you. It's affecting all the dolls, all the kettles, all the things. And then starting to leach out from the product that you're playing with into completely unrelated products. And an example I touched on was the smart hot tub we did at Christmas, which was very funny to do, but actually had a very sinister message, which was the same platforms that are being used to make IoT cheaper and easier to access are actually exposing security of other devices. And the, the really scary ones, we found medical technology attached to the same uh, back end as the hot tub used. I think that that was one of the points that I took very clearly from your presentation was that it's the back end of the, the software stack that goes into um, making the chip useful. It's the back end that is white labeled and then made uh, useful by somebody else. It's the APIs that all of these companies are using. They're not being secured properly and therefore it, it creates a whole um, ecosystem of problems for, for us. That's so true. So there are some good 
IoT platform providers that are really secure, but they're very much in the minority. There are hundreds and hundreds of platforms out there. And of all the ones we've looked at so far, we've probably looked at upwards of 40, and we've only found a couple that we consider secure. And so, so what does that mean for the industry? I mean, what can end users do? And I, I get the feeling that, that it's not much, but what can end users do to pick things that are going to be secure and try and drive more security in this kind of area? So from a consumer's perspective, and I don't say this lightly, but we're screwed uh, because it's in, almost impossible for a consumer to identify which products are more or less likely to be secure. But surely we can select the ones that say military-grade encryption. Yeah, you'd think, <laughs> wouldn't you? Yeah. yeah, so it does make me laugh when we see these ridiculous claims. I mean, the, the claim you all know I love is that it's one of unhackable. And you, you can always tell when you know, someone starts talking about 128-bit AES and military-grade encryption. It's suspicious they're not actually validating their insecurity and they're relying on words to try and make it sound as if they're secure. Yeah. Well, by inherently saying 128-bit AES encryption does not mean that you have done it right. Yeah. yeah. What did you encrypt? You know, did you even encrypt the right things? Did you seed it correctly? Yeah, it's, it's all, it, it's, it's meaningless. And I think that's where consumers need a, a huge amount of help. And you know, hopefully that's what we'll see is, as, as various bodies start to regulate and frankly protect us consumers from manufacturers who just aren't taking it seriously. So the solution is regulation? I think so. I, I used to think not. I really did. I, I thought that actually you know, research, press exposure, learning, evolution would actually really fix things. I really did. That's five years ago. And actually what we're seeing is, is it going the other way. We're actually seeing an acceleration towards even less security and the consequences becoming even more significant. So that's why I'm sitting there going, Do you know, actually... I don't think market forces are, are going to help in the short term. So the, the more popular IoT becomes, the more low-end um, chips, uh, services, software stacks become available, and you're, you think that that, or is it a, a proper statement to say that that may actually drive us into a worse stance for security over time? Yeah, I mean, there are beacons of excellence out there. I mean, if you look at some, you know, Google's Nest and Hive, they're actually really quite good products. They've actually really thought about their security. And I think that's because there's a, there's a bigger brand at, at stake there. So it's in their interest to do the right thing. The problem I have is, is the, the Me Too's, you know, the clone devices, where, you know, get, getting the price point is everything. So, you know, an extra cent or two on a, on a product or a service is, nah, we're not going to do that. We just need to be to market first. And I think that's, that's the problem. So there's that drive, though, to compete with the, the, you know, the ring doorbells of the industry, yeah. right? And, and to be able to bring in that cheaper product that does the same thing, but is half the price. And that then pushes security down to the bottom rung of this is not something we can afford because you need to keep the price down. Yeah, so you could go and buy a really secure home security camera. No problem. There are plenty on the market. They're good. Guess what? They're quite expensive. Or you can go and get the, the one with a very similar form factor. It looks very similar, but actually it's half the price. Which one do you buy? They've both got the same functionality, but one is horrifically poorly secured. Which one does the consumer buy? Yeah, you buy on price, don't you? Yeah. So... What does that mean for enterprises? I mean, a lot of enterprises have historically looked at IoT devices and said, that's nice, that's quaint, we don't have a hot tub, it's not going to affect our security in any way, we don't care about any of this. Which may be the wrong view on things, because mm. people start to bring in things, suddenly uh, your 
your uh, HVAC manufacturer decides that they want to go wireless with their controllers and you are bringing IoT in, but you just don't know. So does industry and does big enterprise realize that this is creeping in? So we talk about shadow tech, right? So we talk about things that we looked at years ago, like building management systems. Uh, We look at, like you say, meeting room booking systems. We talk about... um, door access controllers, even the gate lines, all slowly becoming smart. But are you responsible for those? Or did you ask? Or is that facilities? Or is that outsourced? You know, like your HVAC contractor, was that a source of a breach? Hmm, let me think. Yes. Um, so we've got problems there. Is, is we're getting technology coming in stealthily into the shadow tech in our offices. So we might say as a business, no, we don't do IoT. Yeah, you don't have a smart tea kettle, right? But actually there is plenty of smarts in your building and if you're not going out there looking for it asking the right questions of the right people in your business you're not going to find it so you talked briefly about some of the bad responses you've had from organizations of of basically up to and including threats to sue i'm almost surprised nobody's threatened physical violence at this point um but what if what have been some of the really good reactions that you've had you mentioned a couple of those in the presentation yeah, it, it tends to happen with, I think, vendors that tend to be larger, more experienced, probably been around a little longer. Have more, more invested in their reputation. Yeah, they've got more to lose. So, so one, and maybe they've had a few bad examples in the past of mishandling securities disclosure and end up dragged through the press, which no one really wants because it doesn't help anybody. But actually, it, it tends to be those organizations that have gone, right, you know, let's get a, a good PSERT team in place. Let's re- respond, interact be responsible and let's get these bugs fixed and if you have those meaningful interactions then great stuff happens and it's fine and actually when the advisory comes out it's it's a thing and it's already been fixed because the product's updated itself and everyone's happy as opposed to most of our experiences which is usually a bit of a train wreck because it's probably the first time the vendors ever had any discussion about security let alone had a discussion with a researcher and they're going we've got what Security falls. Right. What do we do? Um, yeah. <laughs> do you run into many that, of those uh, that don't even have a security team, that don't have uh, yep. any idea? Plenty. Yeah, plenty. They do. Several times a week, we'll be doing disclosure. And it, there's, there's no contact. There's no person responsible for it because often you find the IT product is, is just a brand team and they've contracted out all of their, all their development. So we end up being sort of finding ourselves talking to a, a third party somewhere. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I hate to bring the, the word regulation into a technical conversation, but do you think then the regulation should be that companies who are selling product should be regulated to have some kind of technical contact, some kind of process in place to be able to respond to these kind of things? I absolutely agree. And I, I'm not pro-regulation, don't get me wrong. And I really hope that market force would, would actually solve this problem. And it has with some of the larger brands. However, there are too many organizations out there selling product, getting to market really quickly. Too little regulation, too few security researchers, and too, too, too few people to enforce anything. So I think we have to have a backstop. And actually, you came up with some really interesting points there. The three you mentioned happen to be um, the ones that the UK's Department for Culture, Media and Sport are sponsoring. Really simple things, like you must have a vulnerability disclosure program. And even just complying with that means you've got to have a thought process about security. So that's a huge step forward. So I really like that. I I would love to see the market sort itself out, but I don't think that's going to happen by itself in the short term. 
Now you mentioned at the beginning of the of your presentation, you talked about Mirai. You talked about how from the from the origins of it, it was a DVR botnet. First Mirai attacks were 623 gigabits. You also mentioned that this really only represented a very small fraction of what it could have generated. The number of IoT botnets out there now aren't being used. How much does it scare you if somebody does actually start using this in a, in a concrete and angry fashion, or do you think we're just not going to see that? So that's that's a really interesting one because on the the one year anniversary of uh, the original Mirai, another botnet was being built, and it looked like it was being built for the anniversary, and we were expecting a big attack, as I'm sure many others were as well, and nothing happened. And we've seen botnets be built up with far greater capacity than Mirai ever did, yet nothing's really happened out there. We haven't seen anything on the scale that could be possible with this, this number of devices. If someone wanted to, they could produce something far, far more capable and create far more traffic, but I haven't seen anything quite of that scale. So it makes you worry that there is something coming, but it's, it's constantly building up and it's not being used. Is it just, so I mean, ultimately, there has to be some kind of financial, political gain you know, from, from using that botnet, right? And maybe, maybe that's not there yet. Yeah, maybe it's, it's you know, at that scale, we're talking nation state, aren't we? Which, which concerns me. Well, we're now, we're nowadays, yeah. any you know, kid in someone's basement yeah. could have nation state powers in certain yeah. areas. Like that's, nation state has kind of jumped the shark at this point. Yeah, well, where's, where's the root of the money there? If I'm thinking for a kid, you know, where, where's the root of the Bitcoin, right? So in, until we've got that, I think you, it's almost as if these, these, um, these botnets are too big. So, so for the, the, the kitty, you know, where's the money? Actually, they're probably easier just going and doing some ransomware as a service, aren't they? So you know, where's the money? And if there isn't the money, then it's got to be nation state, right? And maybe some foreign actor sat there going, yes, <laughs> let's turn on a botnet. So I guess that brings us to what does the future hold for IoT security? Right? I mean, we, we already know that consumers can't do anything. We, we can't do anything as an individual to make things better other than yeah. doing security research and pointing out where things are wrong. Yeah. Um, but what can we do and what's the future holding for IoT? Is it getting better or is this as bad as it's going to be? I think it's going to get a little worse and I think regulation will start to bite. Uh, we saw in the US, we saw the Cybersecurity Act reintroduced in the last week or so, which is great. We're seeing EU making progress and UK, we're making progress. So there are things going in the right direction, but I think there's, there's still some time for it to get worse before it gets better, uh, which worries me. Um, I think we'll start to see the bottom of the curve in six to 12 months, which is concerning. Uh, I think as consumers, we, we do have a few things we can do as consumers. The first thing we can do is we can hurt the manufacturers by not buying their products. And I've seen a very small number of vendors now start to major on the fact that their products are secure. It's a selling point. One of the, from recent surveys, one of the biggest um, hindrances to IoT adoption is consumer concern about security and data privacy. So it, great, there's an incentive for manufacturers to go to market. Our product's secure, and this is why it's secure. It doesn't just use AES. <laughs> it does a bit more than that. So I think we, we can hurt vendors by not buying products that we don't necessarily need. Let's sit back and wait and let manufacturers 
come to market with products that are demonstrably secure, even if they have to do their own marking scheme to do it, at least it helps the consumer know, do you know what? I don't want that product because it's going to be sending very private data into servers, potentially in the Far East, and I have no idea whether it's secure or not. Well, we've been talking to Ken Monroe, uh, who was given today's uh, keynote at the first conference. And thank you very much, Ken. Thank you. You've been listening to the official podcast of the 31st Annual First Conference. We look forward to seeing you at Edinburgh, June 16th through 21st.